0: it's so hard to find a place where we belong and we're going to do so by studying ephesians chapter two Uh, follow along with me as i read ephesians chapter two by grace you have been saved through faith this is not your own doing it's the gift of god not a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the, in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who once were far off, have been brought near. For through Him we both have access and one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight and uh, pray that you would grant us sharp minds by the work of your Spirit to comprehend what your text says. And pray that you grant us uh, soft hearts, Lord, to uh, be challenged by what it's saying uh, to us, about us, but also encourage us, Holy Spirit, uh, by what it tells us about Jesus and the kind of community it holds out to us. Pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. In preparing for this uh, sermon, I did a little bit of study on community. And if I, I just thought about this a moment ago, if I was to split you up in groups of three or four and charge you with coming up with a definition of community, I'm convinced that all of you would have different definitions. I say that because uh, it's a relatively new idea, community, not a new reality, but a new idea. We've been talking about this a lot over the last 50 or 60 years. And in, 19, in the 1950s, when sociologists really began to study community, and all kinds of people are studying community, historians, archaeologists, sociologists, scientists, when sociologists got into the room and said, this is important, let's talk about community, they narrowed it down to about 94 different definitions. They couldn't agree. They came up with about 94 All the social workers are shaking their heads a little bit. Someone at least. Um, 94 different definitions. This is in the 1950s, and I would I would expect, and this is from my vantage point, which is perhaps far from realistic and uh, educated, but I think it's it's a good educated guess that today, given our global community, which wasn't quite the same way it was in 1950, given the vast number of social networks available to us through our media, it's even more complicated. Far more communities are available to us. You have the ability to join dozens and dozens, hundreds and hundreds of communities. So many so that you can't keep up with them. And for all that, for all that I would wager, we're probably no less lonely. We're probably no better at getting in the community. Often we're still plagued by that feeling that we're on the outside looking in. And often when we get in to whatever it is we're trying to get into, uh, we discover Uh, with disappointment, that it's not quite what we thought it was. Uh, Sure, it's a good group, but man, they're pretty tacky or pretty finicky or not very serious. I mean, there's always the reality on the other side. It's not quite what we thought it was going to be. Or it really is all you thought it was going to be, and you're afraid other people are going to ruin it. So now that you're on the inside, you work really hard to keep other people out. Man, why all the trouble with community? Why is it so hard for us to find a place to belong and to invite others into it. And uh, what we're going to find out tonight, we of Ephesians and uh, oh, Proviso, I'm not going to solve all your community problems. I'm talking about one community here, and that's the community that Jesus builds around himself. But I think it helps us think about other communities as well. What we're going to see is uh, we can be encouraged that in Christ uh, we find one who draws us near. By the way, the outlines are on the sides. Who draws us near. And because he does so, we must draw near to one another. Christ has drawn us near, and so we must draw near to one another in community. And uh, the sort of the central verse for our thought tonight is in 2.13. I'll read it to you. It sort of sums up the whole thing. Now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we're going to ask three questions uh, about our topic. From where has Christ drawn us? Where were we that we had to be drawn to him? Uh, How has Christ drawn us? And for what purpose? For what purpose has Christ drawn us near? Okay, So from where has Christ drawn us? And uh, the description is not particularly flattering. Um, those of you who know me well know I'm not much of a flatterer to begin with. And I uh, like to paint with broad, realistic strokes. And so I find in this text an affirmation of some of my you know, childhood loneliness. I-, I was the child when their class at a dance party that found like, the nook in between the bookcases and sat there and read a book. If I had to be in, if being in that community meant being secure enough to dance with all the other kids, that wasn't me. And yet I wanted to be a part. So I, I find in this text an explanation for what's wrong with me and what's wrong for, with community as well. And, and we see in our text uh, that Christ has to draw us from, from some pretty hard places. Uh, first, he has to draw us from afar. We see in verses 12 and 13, and verse 19, uh, just a description. In verse 13, now in Christ, you who once were far off, you who were separated. uh, In verse 19, we were strangers and aliens. Separate, alienated, strangers. Far off. The proverbial outside looking in. Uh, and it, it means not only uh, in relationship to God, but as we go on through the text, we'll see, even with one another, we're alienated from one another. And the text isn't done. It says, uh, Christ has also drawn us from despair. In verse two, in chapter 2, verse uh, 14, we read that... Uh, where am I? Sorry, I have a different translation, and it's confusing me. In verse 12, uh, we were separated, alienated... Strangers, without hope and without God in the world. Christ drew us not only from afar, from alienation, but from despair, from a place in which we had no hope. Being far from him and being far from others, uh, we were in a dark place. Now, perhaps that doesn't exactly describe the way you feel about yourself now or the way you've grown up but it may at times explain how you felt in certain situations about trying to approach God or other groups. And uh, Scripture goes on and says other harsh things, even in this chapter, about where we are. In chapter 2, verse 1, the same chapter, it describes us as dead. As it regards drawing close to God, uh, we are in fact dead. We're not just far off, separate, and alienated. There's no way for us to get back. Of our own ability... Uh, We have none. Uh, We lack the skill, the competency, the endurance, even the desire, perhaps, to find our way back to God. Not to a God, but to the God of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is we're alienated largely because we want to be. We want to be the gods of our own lives. And yet for all that, we know we're separate. We long for our Father. We long for some kind of reconciliation. We want things to be right. We want to have hope. I said it another ways. We want God's things sometimes without wanting God. So Christ draws us from afar. He draws us from despair. And he draws us from hostility. The text goes on and says in verses 14 and 16. In verse 14, He himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. But there was a wall of hostility. And the question is, where is that wall? Is it a magical wall in heaven? Some horizontal wall that disconnects mankind from God? Scripture would say, yes, that's true. I mean, there's a sense in which we don't want to get up there. We We want God to leave us alone so we can do our own thing. But this text is talking about a different kind of wall. It's talking about the walls we know, these vertical walls that separate us from one another. That part of our natural condition is that we are separate from one another, that we're hostile to one another. And the description here is of a hostility between those that are close to God, those who had the promises, the Jews. They weren't inherently any better because of it. Uh, and those who didn't, that there was a natural hostility between those groups of people, and uh, that's because uh, the Jews, and I'm not beating up on any particular group when I do this. This is this is my history as well as a Christian. They had received the promises, had received God's word, had received the means by which all the world could draw near to God. This was God's plan. I'll share with you who I am. You go share it with the world. This is Genesis chapter 12. Instead of doing so, they took that and turned it inward, took it as a blessing, harbored. It kept it, took the law that was supposed to point them to God and instead built it as a wall to separate them from others. They used the wall of the law, and the scripture goes on and talks about the ordinances of the commandments. It's heaping up language, law, law, law. They used the law that was to point them to God instead to cut them off from others. It was a wall of hostility. You can't come over here unless you're just like me. And Scripture is saying, if uh, Paul is saying, uh, if you know, unless you were part of the Jewish people, that's exactly where you were. You were on the outside of that, and you could not get into God or to the blessed people. And frankly, uh, Paul will say even the people themselves who had the promises, the Jews, weren't any better for it if they didn't believe the message and then believe in God Himself, not just the law. So Christ drew us from a dark place, and um, let me help you sort of identify maybe where I'm coming from with this and telling you all these hard things about what Scripture says about us. Uh, in this book, Jaber Crow, which is one of my favorites, written by Wendell Berry, known as the former poet, he's a beautiful writer. Uh, the main character is a guy named Jaber Crow, and I can kind of identify with Jaber. Jaber is from a small town. He goes away to get educated, like I did, and um, or try to get educated. And uh, he ends up in seminary as well, and then finds out, unlike me, that he wasn't, really wasn't called to it. He has tons of questions about God. He's not sure about anything. He knows with a good conscience he can't continue to do this. So he doesn't know what to do with himself. He's orphaned. He has no family. And so he finds himself back in the small town where he grew up and left when he was six years old. And yet It was a very small town. Some of y'all are from small towns. And what you'll find is that uh, you may get up and grow up and go away and come back. And what's changed the most is you. And when he comes back, he knows he's different. No one really remembers him. Everyone in that town knows everyone. He's an outsider. He's a well-read outsider. He's a well-read outsider in the South in the 1950s who's not sure what he believes about God. He's not very welcome. He feels like one on the outside trying to get in desperately. Remember, he has no family, no friends. He longs to be a part of something. And yet, he doesn't know how to get in there without, while still being himself. I can identify with him. I mean, that's my story. When I go home, I feel like I'm the strangest person in my town. Uh, I'm the one that's changed. And I want, to be a part of, I want to be a part of what I was. I want to be able to be who I am and still be a part of this community into which I was born, where I'm supposed to belong. How do we get back inside? How do we get back where we belong, where we feel like we belong? Do you ever feel like an outsider? Longing to get in? Wondering where you fit? Even in the groups that you're in and the communities you're in, do you live with the anxious fear that any moment now people are going to discover the real you and kick you out? If they knew what I was really like, or if the club president really knew that I hated her guts as much as I do, I would be out next week. If I can't spend enough and keep up with the Joneses or with the wealthier members of this group, what are they going to think of me? How do I continue to fit into a group where I'm not sure I fit in? And yet, I need a place to fit in. Where do I belong? Well, we have good news in our text. And the good news is that God doesn't leave us on the outside. In verse 13, uh, we we encounter this very encouraging word. We have this terrible description of our condition, separate from God, separate from others. In verse 13, we hear the wonderful word, but. (laughs) It's very simple. And yet it's encouraging. There's a change. But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The good news is that Christ has brought us near. But how has he done so? How has Christ brought us near? And we read uh, in verse 13, as I just read, that he's done through, through his death, through his blood. And uh, that might be disturbing to some of you. That uh, Even the language is disturbing. By the blood of Jesus, he just shed blood and everything's fixed. And the biblical portrait's a little bit more complicated than that. The biblical portrait simply is that we as a people are estranged from our natural father, from God our father. He loved us, he blessed us, he wanted a relationship of intimacy with us. We spurned him and walked away. Uh, we studied this in detail a couple weeks ago. We're the ones that have the natural enmity to God. And there. our Desire for autonomy and god status. The desire to rule our own lives. Uh, we've given God the proverbial bird. And it's God that draws near to us in Christ. And uh, fixing things up isn't so easy as just saying, I'm sorry. Uh, god is a holy God. And what we see is that in Christ, all our alienation, all our separateness, all our brokenness and sin is born by Him. It's born by Him. Jesus, the perfect Son that never left the Father, that obeyed the law perfectly, uh, gives his life up, that his other sons and daughters might come home. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 8 that we read calls this grace. By grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, not by works. Uh, Grace is unmerited favor. We did nothing to deserve this. Jesus, of his own volition, gave his life up. And it's important that you understand this. Even if you don't agree with this, this is biblical Christianity if you're here tonight and you don't, you're not at all sure what you think about Christianity, you're not sure you believe in Christianity, that's okay. When you walk out this door, I want you to know what Christianity believes about justification and salvation. It's that uh, we have been brought near to God, reconciled to Him through Jesus' death to God, to Himself by grace. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, It's not by works. There are works to be done. Ephesians 2.10 says, God's got all kinds of good works planned for you. Go fix this mess of a world. But it's on the other side of the equation. Once God has drawn you near, you work as a glad response to what he's done in your life. But you enter that relationship with God by grace. By grace. Of his own grace, Jesus died for you. And you trust in that message, you receive that message, that's the condition, it's faith. And God forgives you, draws you into the family, reconciles you to the Father. And the imagery here that we have is of being brought to God in verse 16. We see that both peoples, those that are near and those that are far, are both brought to God, reconciled to Him. See, God doesn't just want to forgive you, and sometimes we would like this actually. Can you just forgive me and let me do what I want? This is great Calvin and Hobbes uh, short illustration where uh, Calvin has insulted Susie and called her a boogie, boogerhead or something. And he feels terrible about it. Hobbes actually makes him feel terrible about it. So he goes to apologize to Susie, and he's terribly anxious about doing so. And he just sort of blurts it out. Susie, I'm sorry. And uh, she's about to say, thank you, Calvin. And as soon as she says it, he runs away. Like, yay, it's over. It was better than I thought. And then she's like, I should have made you grovel. Well, I mean, what she wanted was more of a relationship. Okay, you've, you've, you've apologized. Everything is good. Now, now, how about we be friends? Sometimes we just want the peace of being forgiven and being okay. But God wants more than that. He wants the restoration of the relationship. He brings you into the family. He wants you to be the beloved daughter and son that you're called to be. He's reconciling you to himself. And as he does so, through the death of Jesus, he reconciles you to others. Uh, the language here is really interesting. In verses 14 and 15, we read, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the wall of hostility, abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he may create created himself one new man. Uh, Jesus says, reconciled us to others through his own death. And, and what the picture is, is of God, Jesus, dying for a whole bunch of different kinds of people. And as we trust in Him, being united to Him, the, the, the phrase that I read in 4.13 is, in Him. It's all over the place. If you read your Bibles ever, uh, look for that phrase, in Christ. It's everywhere. And it's more than just a preposition and a noun. It's, it's a theological truth that those that trust in Jesus share a vital relationship with Christ. That you share all His blessings. You share the riches of His relationship with the Father. And what we see is that because those who trust in Christ are in him, we are, by nature, inherently connected to everyone else. Connected to everyone else. That Jesus, in drawing us near to himself, connects us to others. Now, if this is not your understanding of Christianity, what I've just explained, that we're brought near to God and to one another uh, through the death of Jesus, not of our own works, or our own earning, but by merit, um, that's not Christianity. I'm sorry. Uh, this is Christianity. You, might not have to, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to uh, believe it yet. Uh, but that's biblical Christianity. And I, and I want to tell you that if you're here tonight as someone that calls yourself a Christian, you consider yourself a Christian, and you have a different idea about what Christianity is. If you're under the delusion that you have to perform for God, for God to be happy with you, you're missing it. You're missing it. God draws you near to himself through grace by the blood of Jesus. Not because of your works. Out of response to that intimacy and love with the Father, you then go out in glad response and try to live faithfully. And if you don't understand this, you will be slaving away trying to perform for a good Father that already loves you. You will misunderstand what God is really like. You'll think he's some slavish taskmaster sent to make you miserable. When in reality, he delights in you because when he sees you, he sees Jesus. It has implications for your relationships this way, too. You see, if you think God is the slave master and you have to perform for him, you're going to view all of your life and your relationship with God as a task list of things to do. And you have to perform. And we don't perform very well without comparing ourselves to others. You should know this already. You've been in class forever. You should know already. Yeah, you get got a grade, but you're also comparing yourselves to others. And when you think it's up to you to earn your relationship with God, to be near to God, you're going to try and compare yourselves to others. You're going to form that wall of hostility, the law, again. You're going to find yourself looking down on others as morally inferior to you, or stupider than you, or not as culturally sophisticated to you. They're not as near to God as you not the way you're supposed to live. That's not the way God wants us to live. Some of you perhaps are trying to manufacture feeling close to God. You know you're supposed to feel intimacy. You know you're supposed to feel love and joy. You're just wondering where it is all the time. Well, let me help you. You're not supposed to feel that way all the time. That's the first thing. But secondly, uh, if you're a Christian, this is just true. Jesus has drawn you near. Okay, You are near, you are beloved. You don't have to manufacture the feeling. Yep. How do we get to a place? How do we get to a place where the dividing wall between us and others is torn down and we're free, we're free to know that God has drawn us near to Him so we can draw near to others? How do we get there? I have a friend, he's a pastor. More of an acquaintance, actually. I wish he was a friend. I love the guy a lot. And um, he didn't tell me the story about himself because he's not a bragger. It's a great story. Some of you have heard it. So he's a, he's a great pastor. He's worked at some prestigious universities. He's a smart guy. He's a, he's a church planner. And one day he was in his office working and the church janitor comes and knocks on his door. Very different people. One guy has been to seminary and college and worked at some of the best universities in America as a campus pastor. The other guy was a convicted felon in his 60s. Hard drinking, hard smoking, hard living. And uh, my pastor friend said, uh, hey, what's up? How can I help you? And doleful and sad, the uh, janitor walks in and says, I don't think there's any hope for me. What do you mean there's no hope for you? I think I'm going to hell. I'm an old man. I've lived terribly. It's too late to write the script of my life again. There's no hope for me. And uh, the pastor thought about it for a moment and responded honestly. That's what's crazy about this story, honestly. Shoot, I'm worse than you. And the janitor looked at him, what are, you, what are you talking about? I've been in jail for like 10 years. Slept around and drank too much and wasted my life. The pastor simply said, hey, we're going to have this conversation. You're going to go home. Eventually you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. And I won't think anything about it. And the janitor looked at him and said, you are worse than me. And the sad thing is the pastor was telling the truth. I mean, he was telling the truth about his own heart. The kind of person that he is. God draws us near, but we're by no means perfect people. And when you recognize where you've been and the kind of person you are, and you can own up to it, and you realize what Christ has done to draw you near, to give up his own life, you can let down your fake walls of pretense. And be who you really are. You can admit, I don't love you nearly as much as I should. I talk to you every day, and you're probably going to go to hell. And I don't care as much as I should. Of course, the janitor went home and thought about it and became a Christian. So it all worked out well. <laughs> and that's the beauty of the gospel. That's, that's how you get it. The beauty of the gospel, the sweet aroma, when it gets out there, is when people see you don't take yourself so seriously because Christ is taking you seriously. We drop the walls. We're free to love others, to take ourselves less seriously, and to love others well. So Christ has drawn us near through His blood. For what? For nearness. This is the last point. It will be brief because I've already talked about how Christ has drawn us near. He's drawn us near to Him uh, and made us a new people. We see this in verse 13 and 14. We're called to be one. And uh, the language here is really interesting. Uh, I'll just be real quick with this. I'll read it. Now in Christ you... okay. I know a lot of y'all are math and science. You is second person plural here. Um, Also known as y'all. Who once were far off and been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. And it continues with the first person plural. It's very interesting. Before we drew near to Christ, we were a bunch of yous out there, separate. In Christ, who draws us near, we're a we. From a bunch of separate yous to a we. And the point is, God is making a great people. He's making a great people. A diverse people, not the same people. He doesn't eradicate our personalities and our gifts. The reason we read Revelation 4 and 5 at the beginning for the call to worship was that beautiful portrait at the end. That I hope you noticed it. People from every to- tribe and tongue and language gathered to praise the Lord. The church is the most diverse organization, entity in the world. It always has been. Hopefully it always will be. Uh, a new people from all over the place uh, gathered around Jesus sharing the privilege of nearness. We see in verse 18 they have joint access to the Father. There are no second class citizens in this family. This goes on and says you used to be orphans, you used to be strangers and aliens, now you're citizens, joint citizens. You know, Part of being a citizen is you get rights and privileges. No second class citizens here. Uh, You all have equal access. Ugly Christians, pretty Christians, rich Christians, bad. All kinds of folks. Joint access to the Father with the same rights and privileges. And lastly, the privilege of sharing in God's presence. In verse 21 and 22, we see that uh, in Christ, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple. Uh, He's changing metaphors. Literally, we as his people are being built around Christ into this growing entity. We're part of something that's growing. We all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, I think. Uh, This would be that. We're being brought into a growing congregation of people who throughout the ages have worshipped the Lord and will continue to grow and experience the blessings of knowing him and of bringing his peace and righteousness to the world. And His presence, we get to enjoy the presence of the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You want to know where God is? He dwells with His people, and I know what that sounds like. Some of you have been hurt, you've been disillusioned, uh, you have every right to be. You've been in churches and in Christian groups that have used you, abused you, ignored you. And I'm sorry. There's there is no perfect congregation. There's no perfect church. And yet, it is God's plan A, and B, and C. There's no other plan. This is the way by which God draws people to himself and blesses the world. And actually, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm sorry for your, your experiences, and I'd love to talk to you about them. I can't make them go away. But I would like to talk to you about them. So, uh, why do you think Jesus died? I ask that question because it's important. And uh, I'm aware, of course, that there may be some people here that have no idea uh, why he died. Maybe not even sure that he did die or that there was a historical Jesus. Maybe you just think he was an unlucky victim or maybe he was crazy. Um, Some of you that grew up in the church, your answer will be simply, unthinkingly perhaps, well, so I could go to heaven. And that's not a terrible answer, but it's, uh, it's deficient. It's not enough. Because you see in this text that there's something else going on. God is not out just to get you the free check to heaven. He wants to reconcile you. Your relationships are broken. Every relationship you have is broken. Even your good ones aren't what they're supposed to be. We've talked about that. We're going to continue to talk about that. And God wants to restore not only your relationship to Him, but your relationship to everyone. He wants to restore and redeem those things, to reconcile them. He wants to draw us near to Him. And in doing so, draw all of us closer to one another. So if you call yourself a Christian, that's how you think of yourself, are you drawing near to others? A natural implication of this is that when you draw near to Christ, He draws you near to others. Are you drawing near to others? And I don't mean by that that you're the super outgoing, extrovert, bubbly, some of you are like that. I know some of you are a little more quiet and reserved, you're like me. Um, that's what I'm talking about. Do you care about others? Do you uh, are you so concerned about feeling like you don't belong that you don't realize that you actually have belonged all along? Sometimes we're so insecure about trying to fit in, especially as regards what God says about the church and his community. Look, he died for you to bring you in. You're in. No one can kick you out. Get over your anxiety. Listen to the message. You're in. Now turn around and invite others in. Love others well. Um, I would encourage you. Again, there's no perfect church, but I would encourage you as an implication of this text. It's your responsibility to pursue a good church, a good local church. RUF and no other college ministry out there is a replacement for the church. This is great. I know some of y'all are working really hard to stay here as long as possible. Um, RUF is not the long-term plan for your emotional maturity. We love to have you here. We're a hand from the church to you. We we want to serve uh, along with the church. But long-term, you need to pursue the church. It's God's plan for you if you're a Christian. And be intentional about your relationships with other believers. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Are You Up doesn't ask you to do a lot. I'm not trying to jam your calendar with things to do. But think about how you can be intentional about getting to know and serve people in this group or other Christians somewhere else. You're not going to figure it out if you have questions, and you're not going to fix yourself or grow by yourself. Christianity does not work that way. Well, Jaber Crow um, grows old in this small town. Jaber is a barber. He comes to this small town and realizes he can't really do anything else. So he takes up trade as a barber. It's a good trade for him. He doesn't have to say much. He just listens to all the stories and learns a lot and observes, which he's really good at. And uh, he eventually becomes the town's grave digger. That'll get you pretty close to people. And he eventually becomes a janitor to the church. And uh, that's his introduction back to the church. Of course, he has lots of questions and uh, almost none of them get answered. Uh, but some of them do. And this comes later in the book. Um, it's a beautiful description. <clears throat> One day, when I went up there to work, and there's the church. He went up to the church to work. Sleepiness overcame me. I lay down on the floor behind the back pew to take a nap. I've done that before. Uh, waking or sleeping, I couldn't tell which. I saw all the people gathered there who had ever been there. I saw them as I had seen them from the back pew where I sat with my uncle, who would not come in any further. While my aunt sang in the choir, and I saw them as I had seen them from the back pew on the Sunday before. I saw them in all the times past to come. All of them, somehow, in their own time, in all time, in no time. The cheerfully working and singing women, the men, quiet or reluctant or shy, the weary, the troubled in spirit, the sick, the lame, the desperate, the dying. The little children tucked into the pews beside their elders. The young couples, married, full of visions. The old men with their dreams. The parents proud of their children. Grandparents with children in their eyes, with tears in their eyes. Uh, The pairs of young lovers attentive only to each other on the edge of the world. The grieving widows and widowers. The mothers and fathers of children, newly dead. The proud, the humble, the attentive, the distracted. I saw them all. I saw the creases crisscrossed in the backs of men's necks, their work thickened hands. Sunday dresses faded with washing. They were just there. They said nothing, and I said nothing. I seemed to love them all with a love that was mine, merely because it included me. One day, on the other side of glory, I won't be so emotional. Anyway, this is a beautiful description of what the church is supposed to be. From a man who wasn't even sure he belonged. So in all its beauty, and all its brokenness, people gathered together. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus, he draws you near to him. And he draws you near to others. Uh, my encouragement to you is to draw near to others. And if you don't know what it means to not draw near to Jesus, then, then talk to me. Or talk to someone else. Um, It's not about performance. It's not about being right or even doing right. It's about coming to the Christ who makes you right. And makes you capable uh, of living in a different kind of community. And loving others well.